the majesty and the glory of your name. Hallelujah. What a worthy and wonderful God we serve, that we worship. Just as amazing. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans this morning. Beginning reading in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. We come this day to the Lord's table. Uh, something that I always love to do because it reminds us of so much. When we come to this table, it's easy sometimes, I think, to rather than really focus on the spiritual meaning of it, focus on the physical suffering of Christ. And we know that he did suffer physically. There's no doubt about that. His, his hanging on the cross, his, his hands and feet being nailed to the cross, his side being pierced, him hanging there for hours in a suffocating situation. I mean, it was, there's no doubt that, that it was a horrible, horrible physical experience. But in reality, the horrors of the cross are not the physical side. The horrors of the cross are the physical part of the suffering that took place on that day when he hung there and not only suffered physically but he hung there and he suffered our sins upon his body he took the sins our sins upon himself as Paul put it to the Corinthians he who knew no sin became sin on our part on our behalf so that we who do not have any righteousness might become the very righteousness of God that is a beautiful understanding of what transpired on the cross. He took our sin. He gave us who believe his righteousness. We who belong to him received his righteousness. We have that anthem that the choir will sometimes sing, clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. That is the, that is the great glorious gift of the cross, that we are clothed in his righteousness. You know, the whole concept of justification, being declared just, being declared not guilty before God, is, is the great heart of the gospel. And it's that doctrine, really, that we see in these elements, the, the bread and the wine, or the bread and the fruit of the vine, the juice. We see there the glorious work that took place to, to earn mine and your justification to earn for us that which we could not earn for ourselves. That's important to remember. That's important to understand. We have been qualified by His death to be adopted into the family of God. We have been qualified by His death to be made partakers of glory, partakers of His glorious nature because of what He did on the cross. And that's what Paul deals with in talking to the Roman Christians in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Romans. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, but I want you to hear this because it's important. Start in verse 19 in chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that, that every mouth may be closed, closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Now, all Paul is saying there is the law is given, the law speaks to those who are not under grace, who are not in Christ, so that they may be held accountable before God, so they'll have no excuse. The law is there. It speaks clearly. 
Then in verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, bringing, uh, excuse me, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for, those, for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God only the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And then in chapter 4, he just gives a, a lengthy discussion of, of justification, excuse me, justification by faith being shown in the Old Testament. Through Old Testament fathers, Abraham and and his work there in, in Abraham's life was on the basis of faith, not of works, not of law. And then you come to the, just, to the results of justification in chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult, or the word there could be rejoice, in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, see that word, very important, for while we were still helpless, helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul, in writing to these Roman Christians, wants them to understand beyond a shadow of a doubt that the gospel is centered in the whole concept of justification by faith. And you've got to add one other word to that. Justification by faith alone. 
We are made right with God. We are reconciled with God, Paul says, on the basis of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something we attained. It's not something we earned. It's not something we did. We could not earn it. It had to be earned on our behalf, and it was earned on our behalf by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. That's what this meal points to. The, the bread that points to his body, which hung on the cross and took upon himself our sin, bore our sin. When you take that bread into your hand, when you pray over that bread as we pass it among you in a few moments and you prepare to take it, I want you to remember that that represents the body of Christ that received your sin, that took your sin upon himself so that you might have his righteousness, so that you might live, so that you might have salvation and justification and a right relationship with God. That bread is representative of his body. Jesus said in the Gospel of John to those who are listening, he said, you know, I am the bread of life. And he who eats of me will never hunger again. I am the bread that was sent down from heaven, kind of like the manna was from God, but it's more than the manna. It's better than the manna. It's more important than the manna. I have been sent down from God, sent down from heaven, to be your bread that will result in eternal life to those who believe, to those who place their trust in me, to those who are justified by faith alone. The juice represents his blood. His blood that was shed on the cross. His blood that served as the seal of all that he's talking about, that Paul is talking about here. The seal of justification. The seal of reconciliation. The seal of forgiveness. The seal of adoption. The seal of being made part of the family of God. It seals that relationship. It is the, it is the blood of the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews says, quoting Jeremiah, that it's a covenant whereby our sins will be forgiven and we will know God. We will know God. I appreciate those words that Jeff spoke earlier about in reading from Romans chapter 10. When he talked about if you're here this morning and you just come with some kind of a, a knowledge about Christ, that you know that the church says that Jesus is the Messiah, He's the Christ, He's the Son of the living God, and you come this morning with just that knowledge about Him, I hope that you will leave here this day not just with a knowledge about Him, but with a knowledge of Him. A, a knowledge that comes through placing faith in Christ alone. A, a, a knowledge that comes by enter, entering into a relationship with His body and with Him through that body. A relationship that comes because of what he did on the cross and what we memorialize, what we celebrate, what we talk about, and what we picture when we take of that bread and drink of that juice. You see, the gospel is really kind of simple in many ways. But in other ways, it's very difficult to comprehend the seriousness of the gospel message. Because we tend to want to start at one point. We tend to want to start with, with something like God loves you and, and God's got a plan for your life, so just believe. But you have to start much earlier than that with what some people would say, which I would say from time to time, you have to understand the bad news before you can receive and appreciate the good news. 
Paul talks about the bad news here. That is that every mouth is closed and the world is accountable before God, that the law can't justify anybody in the sight of God. The law does not justify, doesn't have the power to justify. Law, through the law only comes the knowledge of sin. That is, the law can only show you how shortcoming you are in the presence of God. And the bad news is that God has been rebelled against by His creatures. I read that psalm, Psalm 95, as a call to worship this morning because I wanted to remind us, as the psalmist does there, that the God we worship created the mountains and the sea. He created everything there is. He created man and woman. He created you. And because of that mere fact, you are accountable to Him. He is the Creator. You are the creature. But yet we live in a world that is fallen. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden, chose on our behalf to sin. And they violated God's simple purpose. Eat of the garden, enjoy all you want. Everything is yours to eat except for this one fruit. And they said, no, that fruit may help us be like God. That fruit may give us knowledge upon knowledge. We've got to do it. And they sinned. And through them entered sin in the world that has affected every single human being that's ever lived since that day. And the law shows us that we are accountable before God because of our sin. And the law shows us that we can't do anything to make ourselves right. We can't say, well, I follow the Ten Commandments or I, I, I follow the Beatitudes. We saw in the, say the Beatitudes, they're not to be followed. They are the fruit of living out the Christian life. Next week when we get back into the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to come to that passage on the golden, what is called the golden rule, and we're going to see that you can't even do that as a way of making yourself right before God. Truth of the matter is, we are at the very heart of our nature sinners. We all are. We all have that as our, it's, it's more than disease, it's death. But God. But God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in His grace, has made us who are in Christ alive, Paul said to the Ephesians. He has made us alive unto Him by the work of the cross, by His pure, simple grace that is responded to by faith and makes us right, makes us justified. It's a free gift. It's the, the work of of pardon. It's the work of grace. This past week when I was in North Carolina, I had one afternoon, the pastor will probably never invite me back. He had a death in the church. He had a heart catheterization go very wrong and a man's right ventricle be totally destroyed. He had spent most of the day at the hospital. He had a police officer in the church shot on Wednesday. And, and so every single day he had, so I had a lot of free time that he and I were going to spend together. And, uh, and I went to a used bookstore. And I was, I, if you know me, you know I like old books and used bookstores. So I went there and I've, I found this book by D.L. Uh, uh, Moody, Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist of, of the 1800s. And I picked it up. The title of it was Something Grace. I don't remember the full title. I bought it because I got it for 50 cents, I think. And I love a deal. I'll buy anything for 50 cents. But, but it, I bought it because as I just kind of lucky dipped through the book, you know, lucky dipping, you just open it up and say, I'm going to read this. I just opened it up, and, and it was Moody talking about 
someone he had met just recently. He had been in a church preaching. And he said, you know, I was in a church and the pastor called me aside and he pointed to one of his elders and he said, do you see that man over there? Back during the Civil War, he was living in one of the deep southern states and he signed up uh, for the southern army, the, the Confederate army. And, and as he signed up for the army, he was a very bright man and so the generals in the Confederate Army, in the unit that he was in, chose him to be a spy. And that is to move over to the Union side, join the Union troops, and become a spy for the Confederacy, for the southern states, and to, to give back the information to them. And he said, you know, spies are not well received by any army. And when it was discovered that he was a spy, and he was discovered, he was arrested, he was placed in jail, he was court-martialed and he was condemned to a firing squad at a certain date, several months away. And they put him in a cell and as he was there, he would, he would be brought food every day by a union officer. And when they would come in with his food, the only thing he would do is he would curse Abraham Lincoln. I mean, over and over, he would curse Abraham Lincoln. He thought up some of those vilest names for Abraham Lincoln. The, the pastor told Moody that it seemed like he lay awake at night just trying to think of a worse name for Abraham Lincoln for the next day when the soldiers came in. And the soldiers came in and they would, they would say to him, you know, you are a terrible person. You talk about our president like that, we don't like you. As a matter of fact, I will volunteer to be the one to put the bullet through your heart. Many of them said that. And one of them even said, why, if we weren't ordered to feed you, we wouldn't even give you food. We'd let you starve to death. And closed, but as they went out the door, he would curse Abraham Lincoln even more. Then one day, as the day of his execution drew near, an, a, an officer opened the door and came in. And by the officer coming, he just knew it must be the day that he was to die. And when he walked in, the officer looked at him and he said, I have a piece of paper here from you and you are at liberty to leave and go back to your wife and back to your children. And he said, what is it? He said, this is a pardon from Abraham Lincoln. And he said, why would Abraham Lincoln that so-and-so-and-so-and-so pardon me? And the guy said, I don't know. I don't think you deserve it. And I know you don't deserve it. You have ridiculed and reviled this man and said awful things about him, but somebody that knows you and loves you got to him, and he has issued a pardon for you, and I can do nothing about it. Here is a pardon for your crimes. You're free to go. And he left. The uh, pastor telling Dwight Moody this said, let me tell you something. Don't ever say anything about Abraham Lincoln negative in that man's presence now said he will fight you tooth and nail over what a great president Abraham Lincoln is. And Moody said, you know, that's the, that's the glorious grace of the gospel. We revile God. We didn't want God. Paul said in Romans 3, no man seeks after God. There's none righteous, not one. Uh, everybody's turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. There are no good people. And yet God whom we reviled and God whom perhaps we even cursed through the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're a believer, has said, here's the pardon. Now that ought to be where the worship comes from, folks. You see, this elder in this church that Moody was talking about
he, he all but worshipped Lincoln because Lincoln had given him something that he could not get on his own. He couldn't even escape the place and get away from it. He had given him a pardon, a forgiveness, not because he deserved it, but by sheer mercy and grace. Now that man just wants to praise Lincoln. When God does a work like that in your life of justification, which the gospel talks about, when God opens your eyes through the law to see that you cannot save yourself, you cannot make yourself right with God, there is nothing you can do, and you cry out in faith, Oh Lord, I cannot do it. I'm a failure, I'm a sinner, and I need your grace. And I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust in his body and in his blood. I trust in what he has done on my behalf. I can't save myself. You just want to worship. You realize what he has done. And you want to praise Him and thank Him and glorify Him and honor Him and obey Him, not out of obey, obedience that says, if I obey, I can get something, but out of pure obedience because you already have everything. Everything in Christ Jesus. That's what this gospel and that's what this meal represents to us. That's why it's only to be taken by believers. That's why if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I ask you to just let the elements pass by. Now, I don't believe in closed communica uh, communication. Closed communication is all right, too. Cl I don't believe in closed communion. That it's only for Grace Baptist Church people. This is for anybody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just know about Him, but knows Him in a, pro in a relationship that comes through the gospel. So if you're here this morning, you know Christ, even if you're our guest, I invite you to participate if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. I ask you to participate in this meal. If you're here this morning and you don't know Him, I want you to think about the gospel. God created you. We rebelled and sinned against God. He sent His Son to die on the cross. And all who believe, as the passage Jeff read out of Romans 10, all who believe in Him will be saved. Nobody, as he said, will be disappointed because he's true to his word. I'm here to tell you this morning you need the gospel. You need the gospel for salvation. You need the gospel for the continued Christian walk. We are born again by the gospel and we walk in obedience of faith by the gospel. So as we come to this table, as we come to this table, I, I ask you to think about the body and the blood. I ask you to think about the gift, the gift of a great pardon that a great God has given you in Christ Jesus, if you're a believer, for the great forgiveness of the many sins, both past, present, and future in your life, if you're in Christ. I ask you to reflect on that great gift. If you're here this morning not a Christian, I ask you to consider what all this means in relation to you. Because just as this is a source of comfort 
and, and, and encouragement for the believer, it is a source of judgment on the unbeliever who refuses to see the truth of the gospel, their need for Messiah, their need for the Christ, a Savior, and come to him by faith. It's a great time. This is an important time. Hear. Hear the word of God. And hear the, hear the voice of God even through the elements. As we come to this, not believing this becomes body and blood when we take it. We don't believe in transubstantiation. We do believe there's a real presence and a real communion with Christ when we observe this meal together. Would you bow your heads and just prepare your own hearts for this? Ask the Lord to point out sin in your life that needs to be dealt with right where you sit before you take the meal. And as you're praying, I'm going to ask the deacons who are going to serve if they will come forward as we serve this together. Would you come?